Let me just tell you, I am not a golfer, but I like the game of golf now. I, I like it now. I used to hate it. Um, some of you get probably just bored by me even saying the word golf. You're like, I just fell asleep you talking about it. But um, no, and, and I remember it's been about five years ago and Lee asked me to go, Lee Trevino, some of you guys know that Lee, uh, he asked me to go play golf with him. And if I had to describe my golf life, golf uh, game in one word. It'd probably be the word atrocious. I don't know what word you would choose, but we played golf uh, a few times, and uh, that day it was so bad. I lost nine balls and nine holes. I should have worn waders. It was, it was really bad, and um, and I didn't get asked back to play golf with Lee for like two years. Um, I don't know if it was connection. I think he was just tired of chasing balls in the woods. Like that's not what he went out there to do. But God is the God of second chances. And so Lee gave me a second chance and we went back out. And that day, like it, it went a little better. It went from atrocious to um, manageable. Like I can ride with you type of uh, golf game. And uh, so I'm, not a, I'm still not a good golfer if I break a hundred, um, which that's that's not great, but if I break 100, I'm doing good. That's a good day for me. If I don't lo- lose four balls, I lose like two, I'm doing good. Um, that's, that's a good day for me. Uh, so I'm not a good golfer, but I have uh, watched and been out on the course and, and watched uh, golfers. And I've noticed that, uh, I know for me personally, when I'm out there, um, when people are like rushing up behind me, I, I get tense and I feel like they're watching me and like I feel kind of insecure because I'm terrible about, you know, and uh, I kind of tense up and I kind of think too much about my techniques and it doesn't really go well for me. Um, but then there's this other side of me that's like, I'm just going to get out there like, you know, Happy Gilmore and just like, you know, hit that thing for some of you that remember that old Adam Sandler uh, movie. And I found that neither is really the right approach if you're going to get the best out of your golf game. I, I think golfers and, and really athletes of any kind, and I would say any occupation, there is a right approach to your occupation and there is a, there's a wrong approach. You know, like you can't, if you're getting too worked into the techniques and all that stuff, then you're kind of missing the joy and the flow of it and just relaxing on what you've trained for. And and I, I think the same is true of our prayer life. I think we just kind of find ourselves in these kind of too casual or kind of too obsessed with the techniques and we don't get to like the, the right approach and how we approach God in our, in our prayer life. I gave you my one word how I would describe my golf game. Let's flip this over. Let's talk about prayer because that's what we're going to talk about today. What's the one word you would use to describe your prayer life? One word to describe your prayer life. Like, let me, let me just kind of offer some thoughts, and maybe you can pick out which one most reflects your prayer life. So, some of you, anybody in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. Um, have a stuttering prayer life, and that has nothing to do with your speech impediment. It has everything to do with it feels like a first date every time you start talking to God. You're like, so what's up? Like, hey, 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 uh, hey, uh. And, and we're just trying to figure out the words to say. Some of us might not have a, a stuttering um, uh, prayer life, but maybe we have a scared prayer life. Like we're afraid to say the wrong thing, afraid to ask for anything, afraid we're going to get struck dead because of what we did last weekend. Like we, we, we got a scared prayer life. You know, some of us in the room, we may have a performance prayer life. Like it's when it's the weekends and we're in church, like I can pray and like I'll pray with someone and I'll pray out loud at the meal if they ask me to. But frankly, that's the only time like a prayer is coming from our lips. There's a, a lot of different words we could use. Some of us have a copycat prayer life. Like we just, 
we just copy somebody else. Well, this is what Pastor Kyle says, and like, I guess that's, I'm supposed to, you know, say something like that too. Some of us, we, we might categorize our prayer life as it's, it's non-existent. It's just not there. That is one word, like it's hyphenated, non-existent. But anyway, um, what's the one word you would use to describe your prayer life? Uh, Jesus' disciples came to him in Luke chapter 11 and said, teach us to pray. But in in Matthew chapter 6, which is the text I want to go to today um, in the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus goes right in to teach us how to pray. And, and I think a lot of us, like we've developed a style. Uh, e- even if you haven't thought through it, even if you haven't thought through your approach to God, you have one. Like even if like I went out there and I didn't know a, a lick of a technique, somebody would come up and be like, your technique's all wrong. I'm like, well, that's because I don't have a technique, you know? And so we don't, I don't even know the right a- approach. And so, um, s- sorry, this is making crazy noises. But um, so I, I want to talk a- about that today because I think a lot of us, we've learned certain things. And there's an author uh, a while back, his name's Alvin Toffler. He wrote a book called The Third Wave. It's kind of a futurist thing, kind of big societal shifts and stuff like that. And he said this, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and and relearn. And so I think a lot of us, even those of you that that have claimed to be Christians for a long time, have been around, or like maybe you've had a prayer life for a long time, I I wonder if like we might even be able to, to look on our own life and be like, I'm kind of illiterate when it comes to this thing of prayer. And, and even if we, we felt maybe your one word is vibrant or, or intimate, like, I don't know, it doesn't have to be a bad one. God might want to, to tune us in this morning, like tune in our prayer life to really match what Jesus teaches us in the, the New Testament, because it's not a verbatim prayer. In fact, if you look to the Luke chapter 11 one, uh, Jesus doesn't even teach them the same way. Like he, he teaches the Lord's prayer, but he doesn't even include all of it. And so it's not a matter of a verbatim prayer. This is how you should pray. And so I want to get into this text and see what Jesus is revealing to us, because I think, I think he's going to teach us a lot about how we approach God. So let's begin in Matthew chapter six. We're going to begin with verse five. Work our way to verse 13, and then we're just going to kind of unpack just a, just a few parts of, of this uh, Lord's Prayer. We're not going to make it through uh, the whole thing today. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans. For they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, uh, also forgive those who have um, trespassed against us or have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm thankful for God's word that he does not leave us to our own devices to figure out how to communicate with 
God, <laughs> that Jesus teaches us how to, how, to, how to pray and how to approach God. Because even just think about that for a second, like how you're supposed to talk to God. Like maybe if you've been around church and like Christianity for a while, like that's not weird. But if you just think about like talking to God, the outside world sees that as like, that's weird, man. That, that's weird that you think you can talk to God. And so we've got to process this. God does not leave us to our own devices to figure this out. Jesus himself has taught us how we should approach. And so I want to talk about our approach to prayer. How do we approach God in prayer? And before we do, I want to kind of just set a foundation real briefly, just for your sake, in the scriptures, the different types of prayer. We could probably drop this into seven or eight categories. I'm just giving us five today. One, there's a prayer of agreement. This is where you and I, when we're praying together about someone, you say, hey, will you pray with me about this? We're going to pray together. And this scripture says, uh, anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, that where two or three are gathered, there the Lord is also. There's a prayer of faith. Jesus is talking. He says, if you have faith like the size of a mustard seed and you tell that mountain to go throw itself into the ocean, you know, it, it'll move. It, it, that'll happen. And, and so there's this prayer of faith uh, that, that we, we pray that God would move on our behalf and petition him for that. So there's a prayer of consecration and dedication, which is uh, a prayer that kind of we're doing with our prayer and fasting right now, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that's really, we're breaking ourselves down, we're humbling ourselves, and we're dedicating ourselves wholly to God's service and just committing our, ourselves to him. The prayer of praise and worship, which we often find in the Psalms, uh, these, these uh, prayers uh, or, or praises uh, of uh, praise and worship, enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You know that one, uh, the prayer of intercession. Intercession is where I'm praying for you or you're praying for someone that's not right there. Like I'm interceding. They can uh, be in like the room or they can be in another place. They don't even know that it's going on. You're just interceding over something. It's a kind of a prayer kind of from a distance over a situation or over an individual. So that's just a little bit of foundation for us to kind of understand the different types of prayer. But I want to lean in here, and as we go back to this uh, Matthew chapter 6, I think there's three words that Jesus gives us here in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, in this first verse that really defines what our approach should be to God. And it starts with the word our. The three words are our, Father, holy. We see that show up as hallowed, that, that means holy. So we're going to talk about each one of these for just a few moments. So let's talk about our. Jesus is teaching us to have an our mentality. This week, uh, Beckett prayed, our oldest that Taryn was talking about just a few moments ago. Uh, he prayed for the, de- uh, the meal uh, that night, and uh, uh, he was excited to do it, and he started praying for the food, and then it quickly transitioned into praying over his birthday party and praying that he would get what he wants for his birthday party. Like, that's awesome, man. And as his father and as his pastor, I didn't know whether to like correct that selfishness or whether to just join in in a prayer of agreement and be like, let's do, let's agree, let's pray. It's going to be an awesome birthday party. And so we just, we let it go and I made it a sermon illustration. That's what happens when you're a pastor's kid. So, um, and so uh, God, Jesus is teaching us here to have an our mentality and our approach. And I just want you to think about this. This is a little bit contradictory to what we think about prayer many times because we think of prayer as very individual. I was praying, this is what I'm praying about my life, and, and rarely do we actually see our prayer life as communal, as I'm a part of, of something 
much larger than myself. We just kind of run our race, and my prayer life is my prayer life, and, and it's a private thing. And, and I think across the room, there's probably some different groups of people, and, and maybe you pray in a communal way. You pray for, on behalf of the church body. God, would you help our church? Would you lead us to be a reflection of you in the community? Would you, maybe you do preach uh, or pray in, in that way. Maybe not. Maybe you fall into one of these categories of, uh, I think there's probably some people who, uh, when they pray, like they are, are much happier to just um, kind of be okay with just private prayer, like just private prayer. Like I, I don't need the communal stuff. Don't ask me to hold anybody's hand. Don't ask me to pray with anybody. Don't pray over me. Like just, no, no, it's just me and Jesus. And, and I've got my own private prayer thing going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's you. Like don't touch me. Don't ask me to do the prayer circle thing, which we're going to do later. So I'm just prepping you if you want to slip out and use the bathroom. When I say that, nobody's going to think you're weird. So, um, see, I'm setting you up. See how much I love you? I'm helping you out when you want to avert those awkward situations. So, but, but God has designed us for community. God's designed us to experience him with an hour mentality, to approach him with an hour mentality. If we settle for only this, um, this just the private, we'll miss out that God wants for us to be connected to the family of God, that God actually has placed something inside of me and that your prayers matter. Like if I just told you for just a second, just a second, that your prayers could bind it together with someone else could change like something, like something huge, like a straight miracle could happen, like a a blinded eye could be seen, like a, a disease could be Cured. Like if I told you that was the case, would we not get up and go if like that was going to happen? And how we are to approach God is, is, is with one another in community, with that type of faith that, that that can happen and will happen. But oftentimes, um, we, we just settle into, no, it's just, my, it's just my prayer life. But I think if you'll allow it, I, I believe that God wants to, to not only shape our church in this way, to shape us as individuals, to allow our prayers to become communal. That when we pray, I'm not just praying for my journey. I'm actually praying for my brother and sister across the room. I'm actually praying for the people who are sitting right next to me or right in front of me. I, I'm praying. I'm not just coming in, God, would you speak to, my, uh, to me? God, would you speak to us? It begins to shape something in your heart and it moves us from a place of selfishness to a place that is reflective of the generosity and love of the Father that's not just in our own lane, but is for all uh, mankind. The, the other side of that is where we completely rely on communal prayer. Like we have no private prayer life. Like we pray on Sundays when people get together to pray. Like that's, that's when we pray. Our prayer life is, is just that. Uh, uh, we, we don't, um, we'll pray at a meal, at something like that. But when it comes to our prayer life, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing going on there. And so each of us, we've got to have a private and a communal prayer life that we're praying with one another, but we're also experiencing God privately. And we see Jesus modeling this. We see Jesus always taking a few moments to, to find a quiet place in in private, but so many of us, we rely on the corporate experience and we miss out. And here's what we're missing out on. We miss out on communion, on relationship with the creator of the universe. The God who knit you together in, the mother, in your mother's womb, the, 
You're missing out on communication and intimacy and connection with the creator of the universe. Just let that settle for a second in your mind. Like, is that something I want to pass up any day of the week? (laughs) No, but but we uh, approach it so many times like, um, I, no, I, I would just kind of flow up under kind of the religious kind of weekend gatherings, and hopefully this isn't a religious gathering, but it's an experience, an encounter, the body of believers fellowshipping together at the feet of Jesus. But we've got to have an, our mentality, and, and I believe it not only shapes our prayer life, it begins to shape our heart. Where I'm not just focused. I mean, you, you want to... If anything will begin to remind you that you're not lonely, if you're a person in here that like you've ever walked through a season or maybe you're in that season now and you just think you're alone and, and you get caught up constantly in, this, in, a, in a depressive hole that no one cares about me, nobody's thinking about me, keep praying our, start, start leading your prayers with our and it'll keep reminding you I'm a part of the body of Christ. Like I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I have brothers and sisters in Christ and it'll keep us. But when our prayer life is selfish, our problems end up being self-inflicted with that as well, we end up having to, to settle with that. And so the second word that, that Jesus tells us here, right in, Father, our Father. We talked about this last week, uh, that in the Old Testament, I, I, was, I found it interesting that in the Old Testament, God as Father was rarely used. I really thought I'd find it a lot when I began to study um, on this and, and dig deep into this. But it wasn't there. And you may ask, well, why, why is it not there? I, I did teach on one of those rare instances in Isaiah last, week, last weekend. But um, why was it not there? Well, Israel, the Jews had, have and, and had an extremely reverent view of God. An extreme, even when it came down to writing his name. Like if they were to write it in English, uh, some probably still do this today, but definitely back then, they would write G underscore D. They wouldn't even write the vowel. And when they would say it, they would pronounce it without the vowel because there was such a reverence for the name of God and who God was. So they didn't use God as father very often because they felt it wasn't reverent enough. It was too intimate and that they didn't really have that type of of access. And really the examples we see are some prophets who God had a special place to, to, to use, you know, to uh, prophesy about Jesus coming and invite us into that relationship. And so it's of interesting note that when Jesus comes, he invites us into this intimate relationship, our Father. Like right in the middle of his first sermon, he's like, I want you to know this is how you can approach God. If you've approached God going through and like doing sacrifices and just, and, and hoping that things are going to work out and, and that's your sacrifices will be good enough. No, no, you can approach him intimately as your father. So we not only approach God communally, like within our mentality, but with an intimate mentality. Um, some of my closest friends are people I, I went to college with and and uh, you know, many of them, no, none of them live uh, really close here in town. And so we don't see each other often. I don't know if you've got any friends like that. You don't see each other often. But when you do see each other, you don't have to catch up a ton, 
right? Because that, that relationship's there. It's so soft. And then you just jump back in. Like, you just pick up right where you left off. I just love those relationships, don't you? Like, thank God for those. Because, like, you don't have to do a big backstory. And when we're intimate with God, like, we don't have to, like, stutter around and beat around. It's intimate. Like, we can go right in. We can go right into what's really going on. We don't have to, like, play the game. We don't have to, like, feel like we've got to go through these certain steps in this intimate relationship. But I think we struggle with this. We struggle with the word intimate because we immediately, you know, think a, a, about sex or something. And, and, and intimate is uh, what Dallas Willard describes as a shared experience. And we struggle to understand this in American culture and, and definitely here in the South because we settle into kind of a religious flow. I'll, I'll talk more about that here in just a second. But Dallas Willard describes it as a shared experience. So let me describe um, what he means by this. So Taryn has a meeting at work. I'm just kind of, you know, uh, running with a story here. She has a meeting at work. It's a rough meeting. Uh, we have our, our nightly walk after dinner. We walk around the neighborhood and the, we, we get the kids out, let all that energy out. And we're talking and she says, babe, I had a meeting today and it was, it was rough. I mean, it was really bad. And, and I have a choice in that moment. I got a few choices. One, I can say the right things. Right, I can say the right things, and husbands, like we've tried to figure out, I need to try to say the right things. Um, but what I found as a husband is that doesn't do a whole lot for her. Me trying to say the right things, that, that doesn't connect, that doesn't feel intimate. What she wants is she wants me to share that experience with her. She, she wants me to, to connect, to, to step into that experience. And, and so even if I don't say anything, I begin to think about it. I begin to embrace the pain that she's going through. And I can ask, well, why? You know, and I'm not trying to be your counselor, but I'm trying to get into her experience in that moment. I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm trying to share experience. And that's, that's called empathy. Like I'm trying to empathize. I'm stepping into her, her experience. And through that, when I can feel and, and, and communicate with her in, in that way, like there's intimacy being formed. And so there's, it's a shared experience. And so it's not just doing stuff together. It's, it's both engaging and encountering that. And so there's just some some marriage stuff here, but like, let's flip that over to our relationship with the Lord. Like a shared experience is I have a rough meeting and I walk out of that meeting and I say, God, that was a terrible meeting. Susan hurt my feelings. Like that, I don't know why she said it. I don't know why she said it in that tone. Susan, I don't know who Susan is, but yes, yeah, hurt my feelings and, and, um, and that hurt God. And, and I can feel already like a resentment towards her. Like I know like I'm going to have to go in and sit next to her tomorrow and I can feel it. And I don't want that in my heart. I don't want that resentment in my heart. And so it's some honesty that's, that's moved in there. And so I, I want to break down and talk about this a little bit more. But what, what happens there is intimacy is being created because I'm being honest with God. I'm, I'm letting that happen. But there's a few blockades. One of them is about our honesty. But there's a few blockades and why I think we struggle with intimacy with the Lord. The first is because we settle for a public life for God without a private life with God. We settle for a public life for God without a private life for God. We go through the motions and we, we kind of hit the Sundays. We check church off of our list on the weekends and we kind of do the kind of weekend or prayer life. And we, we've got, we're doing things for God. You may be even on a volunteer team or serving at a shelter in some way, and you're doing stuff for God, yet the private life with God is, is empty. 
And that's when we get into, we're, we're just doing religion and we miss out on relationship. That's when you're serving and doing for God begins to feel like a duty and not a delight and not our desire of our heart. That's where, that's where it gets to when we settle for a public life without a private life. So if anybody in this room, maybe you're a volunteer today and you feel like, it just feels like a, a duty. It feels like a job. A lot of times we look at it like, oh, that, that's like a church problem. And sometimes it is. And, but, but most of the time, here's what I'm going to talk about. Let's, like underlie, let's talk about your private life with God. Like what type of mentality? Are you coming with an hour mentality? Or, and are you coming out of intimacy with, with the Lord? And so I, I think that ends up being a huge blockade for us. And, and I would just say this a little bit stronger. Let me say this a little bit stronger to us. If you are one who is settling for a public life um, for God, and I can say it this strong because I used to live it like this, okay? We say, if we're one that's settling for a public life for God and there's no private life with God, you're not just living a private life um, or you're not missing out on a private life with God. You're living a private lie before God. That's really what's going on. You're, you're really lying to yourself, you're lying to people, and you think you're fooling God, and, and you're not, and we're missing out on relationship with the creator of the universe, and so it's a blockade for us understanding that, so we've got to start there. The second thing is we lack honesty in our earthly relationships. We don't understand intimacy with God because we don't understand intimacy with one another, um, but this is a, a, a a big, a big deal, as I was just talking about intimacy and that description, Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one as he and the Father are one. The Gospel of John, that's how Jesus, that's Jesus' prayer to the Father, is that we would be one. And that doesn't happen on accident. That doesn't happen um, even in the flesh. That doesn't happen in the physical realm. That happens through, first of all, spiritually, through Jesus Christ. Like that's the only place that we can experience true unity is through what Jesus did. Otherwise, if, if one of us like isn't really pursuing after the Lord and, or one of us is like running as far as we can, like we're not going to have unity with that individual. That doesn't mean there's not unity in the church, but there may not be unity with an individual because of their direction but what, what gets in the, in the way so many times with us is we, we, we lack honesty. We're afraid that we can't be honest. And, and I'll just tell you, tell you this much. The quality of your prayers is determined by the honesty of your prayers. Like if you come in here and maybe you kind of go through the, the religious thing and, and kind of like check it off and, and say the prayers, we, we get into a place in which... Um, um, we, go th- we go through the motions so much and where we don't feel we can be honest. And, and I would just say you, you haven't read the scriptures. If, if this is true, if what Jesus says is true um, in verse 8, don't be like them for your father knows before you even ask. Like if I can just start with that level of intimacy, if I can start with that level of honesty, that's why it's a lie before God because who, who are you fooling? Like we're actually just separating ourselves. We're pushing ourselves away. And the same thing happens in a marriage when I'm not allowing honesty to flow. Like I'm pushing them away. I'm not allowing intimacy there because I'm, I'm pushing uh, them away. You got some free marriage stuff today. I didn't plan on that, but there it is. Um, but let me just say, God's more pleased with a few honest words than he is the babbling on. You saw it in the scriptures. 
Just a few honest words. And so if you're at that place and like, my, my prayer life's non-existent. I've never said prayers. Like you just need to start with a few honest prayers. Like a few honest words. Like, I don't get it. Cool, now we can, we can start. Like God is, when he says, when he hears you say, I don't get it. Or like, I'm angry. Like just pray the honest prayer. And I think we've been afraid to pray the honest prayers. And, I, and I'm telling you, the person who is not connected uh, with uh, the body, who doesn't look like they've got it together on the outside, but is honest before God, is closer to the Lord than the person who's kind of going through all the motions, yet kind of living a lie. So, I mean, so, so we've got to get to this place where we're wanting to be honest and we're pursuing that. Our our relationship with God, our prayer life is not meant to inform God. It's meant to be intimate with the Lord. It's to inform us, not to inform him. And I think that's what, hey, God, I need to catch you up on everything that's been going on. Like we're talking to an old friend. Let me just catch you up on the whole history. Like, no, 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 just skip it past that. Let's get right into level 20 honesty here. And, and, and just be honest, and let's move from there. The third thing, we rely on our feelings way too much. And this isn't new. I know in this culture, like, we think this, this young, younger generation is so feelings-driven and looking for all the feels and everything, but this isn't new. We, anything they've got, we passed on to them. But the reality is, is we rely on our feelings way too much as, of, as people of, of God. And, and I'm one who teaches you to engage your emotional life. Like, it's important that you engage your emotional life because you can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It, d- it doesn't work. Like, the two are going to happen. As you get spiritually immature, it'll be because you're becoming emotionally mature as well. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that we've got way too many believers who are emotionally immature, and we don't know how to deal with it. And that's okay, and God takes that, but he wants to shape it as well. And, and what happens is we end up relying on our feelings way too much instead of relying on the truth of who God is. R- relying on the truth of God's word, relying on the truth of his character because our feelings are fickle. Our feelings are oftentimes facades. They're often facades that, that, that fool us so many times. And, and, and it, becomes like a, it becomes a blockade from us truly begin, being able to approach the Lord. Because what happens in those seasons where we don't feel God? And they happen. And they'll happen a lot more than you want them to happen. What happens? Do I stop pursuing him? Do I stop opening his word? Because, you know, I've just been reading for a while. I haven't really felt anything. I haven't really felt anything. I've been going to church for a while. And, you know, I just haven't had the feels in a while. I think it's time I leave the church. Nobody said that, but that's kind of how we operate many times. I don't, I don't feel it. Are, are we operating out of our feelings? Are we operating out of the truth of God's word and who he's called us to be and who he calls us? But so many times we, we rely on our feelings because if that's the case, then we'll think God has forsaken us over and over again, that God leaves us and he comes back. But the word of God tells us he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We're not built on this kind of emotional hype. We're built on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And there's nothing in this world, no high, no low, that can shake that or take that away. And we've got to begin to live our life with that type of intimacy, that type of truth and knowledge driven deep into our core. 
but we can't rely on our feelings too much. These are blockades. I don't know if you've got any of these blockades in your life. If there's kind of a lack of honesty, if, if maybe you're kind of going through the, the outside motions and there's, you know, there's nothing in between, there's nothing going on in private, there's no slipping away to be with God, there's only doing for God. Uh, or, or maybe we're just kind of living on the feelings. I don't, I don't know about you, but if we do, if we want intimacy with the creator of the universe, and that's what Jesus made a way for, then we've got to work through these and allow God to, to help us remove those. Uh, the third word is holy. This is a, a word often shows up as hallowed, and it means to be set apart, to be utterly different, to be uh, pure and of a completely, utterly different kind. God is perfect and glorious and, and wonderful. And I think God wants to wake this up in our prayer life. Some of you, uh, most of you, as I look around the room, can remember back to the Jesus is my homeboy movement. Did anybody have, don't raise your hand. Did anybody have a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt? Like, just did you have it? Right. Um, that was like such a thing, like for, for a while there. And if you kind of zoom back and just as a pastor, I felt like that really seeped into the culture of the church. We, we liked this idea, and the scripture teaches that he's closer, you know, uh, than, than a brother. He's closer than a sister to us, that there is this intimacy. But Jesus is my homeboy, like, messed some people up, because it really, it, it, it basically erased this word from the Lord's Prayer. It, it erased reverence from when we approach God, and it has nothing to do with the word, because it comes to do with the reality of how we think about that word. Because my homeboy may or may not show up to play basketball with me. My homeboy may or may not show up to, to help me when I'm broken down the side of the road. He may or may not show up when I'm grieving a deep loss. He may, may or may not show up. But God the Father, the one, our Father in heaven, who is ho- in heaven, who is holy and utterly set apart, like he will not leave us. He will show up. He is faithful and true, and we can rely on him. And so it changes our approach, though, by the word. And so we've got to remember this. But many of us are intimidated by the holiness of God, by the perfection of God. Maybe you've been raised in such a way in which you thought you couldn't approach God. You couldn't pray to God. You had to go through a couple other people before you could, hey, will you pray about this? And I think people do that all the time. Like, hey, will you pray about this to me? And they haven't ever prayed about it. (laughs) Thinking that that person's prayers are going to be more powerful than yours. You know, that, that you can't access the Father. You can go, you can go straight, you can go straight to the Father. I, I remember talking with a person uh, that attended here um, several years back, and, and they had become a, a new believer and began to follow Jesus. And I noticed over a, maybe a month or so that they weren't coming to break bread. They weren't coming to the table. And so they were in my small group, and I, I just talked to them afterwards the small group, and I said, hey, man, I noticed you, you haven't been coming to break bread, but I know, you, I know you confess Jesus as Lord. Like, what's going on? And, and he said, I just, I don't feel worthy enough. And I just grabbed my head, and I was like, no, duh. No, duh. But I was so heartbroken because he thought his unworthiness he, it was like we needed to like clarify what the gospel is in his life. Because we don't come because we're worthy. We're invited into that through the work of Jesus and what he did. But so many of us were intimidated by the holiness of God 
But we don't have to be intimidated because we're invited into it by the work of Jesus, by the goodness of Jesus. And, and, and so if that ever scares you off, you can, you can go in and, and approach him as our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's, that's the approach that God wants us, a communal approach, uh, an intimate approach, a reverent approach. It, the holy doesn't cancel out the intimate. Isn't that beautiful? You know, the, the hour doesn't cancel out the intimate. The hour baggage doesn't cancel out the holy. That these are working together to inform our approach to God. There is something beautiful there that if we'll tap into this, if we'll just go and meditate on this, really think through that one word that describes our prayer life and let God shape, some things are going to start happening in your, in your world with Jesus. Like Some things are going to start getting shaken up because God wants to be with you. Second thought is the right perspective, not just the right approach to prayer, but the right perspective. When it comes to the golf game, you ever seen the, the, the golfers, when they get up on the green, they get down to putt, what do they do? They, they always got to do the tiger thing. Like, there's that classic video of tiger, like, staring down the hole. Why do they do that? Like, every time I get up and I just I don't do that, like, it goes off, and I realize there's a slope somewhere. There's a hill somewhere. This thing is fading to the left. It's fading to There's something I didn't notice at this perspective. But when I lower myself... When I slow myself, I can get the right perspective. I, I can see that, you know, something in my heart's actually fading a little bit to the right right now. There's actually a stick over there, and if I don't move that, this ball is never going in that hole. The, the green is our heart. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me, God. Would you renew a steadfast spirit in me? Create a clean heart in me. We slow ourselves. We lower ourselves to get the right perspective. Jesus goes on that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is important for us to not just get the right approach, but the, the, the right perspective. And this is a, a beautiful picture, but if you really think about it, it's a little bit odd that Jesus would be teaching us to pray that God's will would be done um, at this very point in time. Because with this ultimate reverence of God and his sovereignty, that God doesn't need my permit. Like, what, what's my prayer going to do, like, with your will, like, coming on earth? Like, what's... What's that going to do, God? Like, why would you actually need me to pray for, for that at all? But it's this really beautiful picture that Jesus is inviting us into the work that he wants to do in the earth. I think for each one of us, there's an invitation that sits before us. This is what Jesus is teaching us, to to every day when we pray, the moments we pray, we open up the invitation and it just says, will you be a part of what I'm doing in the earth? God doesn't need us to perform his will. He invites us and to be a part of what he's doing on the earth. And, and we have a choice to simply accept the invitation or reject the invitation. 
This ain't Facebook. There ain't no maybe. There ain't no interested. Just very simply, every day, are we going to accept reject the invitation and be a part of what God's doing. And the reality is we live in a world in which everybody's got an agenda. Always feels like money's behind it. Everybody's got their own agenda. Like we look in the political landscape and we don't trust anybody because everybody's got their own agenda. You've seen that work itself out in relationships and you just, you just written them off and like, forget it. Everybody's got their own agenda. But pr- prayer is, is not just our, our intimacy with God. It's our alignment with the heart of God. Prayer is aligning ourselves with the heart of the heart, the heart of the Father. And saying, God, I'm, I'm ripping up my agenda. I, I'm ripping up what I had planned here. I'm starting anew, God. I want your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. What's first on the agenda today, Lord? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Okay. I'll spend my life trying to pursue that. What's number two on that, Lord? Love your neighbor as yourself. We'll spend the rest of our life trying to accomplish that agenda. And, and when asked, they said, what's the most important command? Jesus said those two things. And so let's pursue that. Let's pursue that. Last thought, give us this day our daily bread. Anybody the grocery getter in the house? I'm the grocery getter for the house. Anybody come and just raise your hand? Grocery getters, where you at? The rest of y'all getting delivery. Okay, y'all getting delivered groceries. Okay, cool. Um, that's cool. We haven't done that yet. Um, but I'm the grocery getter for the family. And we go once a week, like Friday mornings. That's where I'm going to be. My people at Aldi and Publix and Freshfield, they know I'm coming on Friday morning with one of my youngins and we're going to be there. And yeah, I, I go around, I hit the Costco. I do the whole thing, man. I'm all over town searching those deals, killing those deals. Um, We're, we're in kind of a weekly mindset. Come to church on Sunday and we get our, we get our daily bread. Uh, Jesus' audience wasn't on a weekly mindset. Jesus was standing a sermon on the mountain. He was out on the mountainside and he's to a, a majority of a peasant population. These people didn't have a weekly mindset. They had a daily mindset. They weren't worrying about their meal tomorrow. They weren't meal planning for the next seven days. They were worried about today. Like, and I know if you're anything like me, like you're, you got some things you're worried about down the road. You're trying to line some things up, trying to plan some things out. Oh, do this, then we'll be able to do this. And, and what Jesus is teaching us in here to not just have the right approach and the right perspective, but to have a desperation, a desperate heart to participate in what he's doing. That that I am reliant on your love and your grace today and your strength today. More than I need bread, more than I need air, God, I am reliant upon you. And, And I wonder if we begin to think about it like this, Everything you've ever learned about God, anything that's ever been revealed to you up until this very moment, until the day, like in the, would just be gone. Would just be gone. And I just have today to seek him. And it would put me back to desperate as I was when he found me first. 
It would put me back in this desperation when I was hopeless and lost. And maybe you're there today. And, and, and you may think, like, I'm in the worst place possible. Jesus actually, and for a lot of people who have moved from that place, he's trying to get us back there. He's trying to get us back to this place where I stay desperate for participating in what God is doing in the earth. And I am reliant upon him. And this is a danger. This is a danger for, for some of us who God's done amazing things in your life. He's set you free. You're walking in like a new environment. But what, what we do is begin to build up the store crop. And I'm reminded of, of the, the story in Exodus in which God provided for the people with manna and quail. And, and this manna was like a little wafer. And, and God said, you got to go out and and it's going to rot. It's going to be flies and maggots. You're going to have to trust me every single day for more manna. And we don't like that. We want to grocery shop and be stocked up in the cabinets for a while. But Jesus wants us in this desperate participation, this desperation. Give me this day. My daily, I guess... It's talking about bread, okay? It's it's talking about physical supply. It's talking about way more than that. It's not just about that. If we we just see that, we're going to miss the whole reservoir here. That, That he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He is all we need. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're in that peasant mentality. I don't know if, if you're in an our mentality. I, I, I don't know if you're coming to God every day with your agenda. Hey, this is what we need to accomplish. But if Jesus in the garden had to pray, not my will, but your will be done, what makes us think we don't have to align ourselves with his will? I want to give us a few moments to just let God speak and to align ourselves with his will. And then I want us to pray together. And this is the part where I told you going to make some of you uncomfortable. But I know some of you are up against some things that you need some people to agree with you. You need some people to pray with you. And we want to bind together. God, I thank you right now for the truth that's being declared over some people's lives in the room. God, people that are, are battling illnesses. God, people that are battling seasons of depression, of loneliness, God. God, I pray that the declaration of your truth, God, would just overcome any feelings, any anxiety, any pains, any diseases that we've come into this place with. God, we would leave healed. We would leave whole in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for the comfort of the body of believers to know that we are not alone, God, as you have woven us into the fabric of your family, your your body. God, help us to embrace that. Help us to walk deeper and deeper with the family of God, who you've called us to be. God, would you align us with your will, God? Whether we've got the approach worked out, God, whether we've got the perspective perfect, God, would you just refine in us, would you shape in us, God, a heart that is a heart after you. It's a a reflection of your heart, God. Lead us to those that are hurting today. Lead us into the city, God, to be the salt and light in the world. We thank you for this time. We thank you for what you're doing. In Christ, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Before you move anywhere, I I just want to encourage you. Um, I believe that God wants to do something here.